I don't know about you, but my brain is melting. My my brain is also melting. Um, culture overexposure. I feel like a kid who's gone on a sugar binge. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say a kid who's gone on a prune binge, but I feel like that's really inappropriate. I just really liked prunes when I was a kid. But yes, we're binging things. On prunes? Yeah, I mean, when I was, you know, you get like dried prunes in a bag and they're fun. Sure. They're sweet. They're sweet. They're, they're, not, as, they're not as sweet as plums. I'm realizing. Have to that. Take your word for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, oh, I guess we should say we are, we, uh, this is, this is, uh, no, wait, no, hold on. This is going to be, this is going to be one of those podcasts where we always forget to introduce it until like 20 minutes in. Oh, that's good. That's, that's a really, I enjoy that as a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. People are going to go wild for that. Right. Right. And when we can, you know, just to, just to like do, you know, the, the sort of secret station identification stuff, um, I can, uh, I can, you know call you by your full name, but it'll be organic so that, you know, they know who we're talking to, but, you know, so I'll say, so yeah. Ben Miller, why did you feel like your brain was melting this, uh, this, this, this weekend? God, that sounded so natural. I it just, you just slipped most, it in yeah. there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, it's going to be a nice secret handshake kind of thing for the true fans. Cause true. Yeah. everyone else is going to be like, what is this? What am I listening to? And, right. and the, gonna... the insiders are going to know you just got to wait for that 20, that magic 20 minute mark to roll around <laughs> and everything will be revealed. Absolutely. Every, uh, every show one minute later, we'll, we'll introduce ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Until, until we're doing it long after the show is over. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, be posting like little uh, follow-up episodes that are just us saying our name and the, and the name of the podcast. Yeah, but they're behind a paywall. They, they are, they are, because because that is solid gold audio that they've got you there. Yeah, yeah, that that'll be for our Patreon. Anyway, no, you're right. This is the Lincoln and Wells podcast. Yeah, a name that we came up with on the spur of the moment during the last one, and now are committed to forever because absolutely it's on iTunes and people right. can subscribe to us on iTunes. We are Lincoln Wells <laughs> from now until forever. gonna have to explain why we're called that every um, time i think I mean, maybe not every time but you know um i i resemble orson wells and you resemble abraham lincoln and so that's that is that's it there will be no facts about either figure i feel like that's a lot more flattering to you i you know i mean i think it depends on the age of the orson wells we're talking about there's a and the lincoln for that matter that's true yeah. that's true so so we should say very much a young, vibrant, you know, Orson Welles and a and an yeah. ancient, vibrant <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. In in so. your yeah. In your case, we're talking uh we're talking Citizen Kane, Orson Welles, not Touch of Evil. Oh god no. God it's uh, certainly not certainly not uh Palmason um 
uh, sparkling wine, Orson Welles. <laughs> right. Because I am mostly sober every episode. And then in my case, we're talking Ford's Theater Act One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, know, with just like a sousson of like uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, because you've got that, uh, you know, that, 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 that sort of glow of, of, you know, the undead and also, also very deep. Kind, kind of the violent haunted. But yes, yes, look. absolutely. You know, of, of a man whose, whose wife has, has, has driven him mad. As we all know, was the case with Abraham Lincoln. That's a thing we can say that no one will misinterpret, or, or anything. Yeah, and with that, we'll launch into our feminist critique of Game of Thrones and oh Avengers God, Endgame. Right? Absolutely, just established our bona fides to talk about that. Right, uh, right. <clears throat> so, no, but let's yeah. let's talk about Game of Thrones first. Let's talk about Game of Thrones. Okay, fantastic. All right. Um, so. so I liked the episode a lot. And I say that right now because I'm probably going to nitpick it all to hell before we're done here. And but, I would say that I liked the episode a lot, especially after I'd had an evening to think about it. Mm-hmm. I think immediately after I had, it might have just been the brain melt of, you know, because I saw Endgame immediately before I saw. Yeah, that's um, insane. Yeah. I, I saw them back to back days and I thought that was going to send me into madness. Right, right. So I cannot imagine watching them back to back. It was a lot. It was a lot. So I may have just been burnt out, but it took me a little bit to warm up, I think, to this episode. But I did. I did very much like it uh, at the end of the day. I mean, I was very scared going into it. Mm -hmm. I was very nervous and scared. And I was scared the whole time. And so that made it exciting. Yeah, no. uh, uh, Fear is... um, the mind killer, I guess, is the only way I could finish that. But that's the only way that sentence. But yeah, it's, it really is. You can't start with fear is and then anything else. Uh, but okay, so so um, uh, almost well, no, that's not quite true. A number of the people that I thought were going to die actually survived. So yes, they killed far is, fewer people than I expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they, they didn't was, do a lot. That I mean. There were some things I expected, but most of even the things I expected kind of turned out a little differently than I thought they would. Right. Uh, like right. the crypts, for example. Yeah. Yeah. That was not the, the massacre bloodbath that I assumed it would be. Nor did we see any familiar faces. Yes, there was no there was no uh just no nearly anonymous there. skeletons yeah. punching their way out of Absolute, stone right. boxes. Right. Because that's because that's a thing skeletons can do when they're brittle and old i had a i had a weird weird moment of just thinking like those are some strong skeletons to to get through all of that stone i i I just it 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 was a moment of just going oh are they oh that's that's like a four foot uh three thousand year old woman yeah and you're just punching right out of there that's probably about six inches of stone but I guess when you're undead, you can kind of do what you right. want. Just like grandma used to punch. <laughs> but um, so, so, okay. So yeah, I mean, that, that went differently than I thought. Uh, Grey Worm is still alive, which uh, I, I am shocked by. Just yeah. shocked. Well, I thought he was going to, well, let's not get too far into the weeds on this yet. But, um, you know, all in all, the, the more I think back on the episode, the mm-hmm. less plausible it all seems. 
Right. Um, which doesn't really affect my opinion of it, weirdly. No, totally. Totally. Um, but it just, it all falls apart a little bit if you think about it too hard. And I've seen some people who are extremely mad online about that. Um, but I'm not one of them. I'm, I'm uh, kind of just wrote mad about it. just how it, how it, uh, it, it isn't realistic for, a for, a a show yeah, where you've got some different categories of people. You've got the people who kind of, you know, thumb through the art of war and now are mm-hmm. battle experts and are critiquing everyone's strategy, which their strategies were terrible to, to be fair. Yes. I mean, I have a, I have a friend who has been commenting on a, a Facebook post I made about the episode about the possibility of how it is, is in fact plausible. And the argument seems to be, uh, the middle ages had a lot of bad strategies. So <laughs> yeah, I, I buy that <laughs> realistic insofar as people were not good at this. Yeah. I, yes. I think that's yes. a perfectly legitimate argument to make, but you know, in TV land, we're used to seeing, um, meticulously planned and strategized um, martial geniuses. Right, right. Like when Aidan Gillen narrated The Art of War uh, for an audiobook, which is a thing that really happened. That makes sense. I could see that. I could see the prince. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's got his audiobook life just cut out for him now. All the... All the th- anyway, we should not get too far off topic, but uh, no, because right. that would be really you not know, that would that would be yeah. disappointing to fans of our last extremely Absolutely. tight, just our tight, our tight, um, what like 90, 95, our tight 95 that we we came We're out shorter than <laughs> shorter than end game, yes, um, just a bit, just a bit. I guess it was about the same length as the Game of Thrones episode. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about Game of Thrones for as long as Game of Thrones. That's that's the appeal of our podcast. So what were we saying? Uh, okay, we were talking people, about, yeah. We thought we're going to die who didn't die. Right. Grey right. Worm, yeah, that was a shocker. Okay, when he's having his moment of conflict and he's looking across the lines at the Unsullied who are, like, covering the retreat. Yeah. And he's got to pull the lever on that bridge or whatever it is. Yeah. I I thought, mm -hmm. I thought he was going to jump across at the last minute and like die with his brothers. Oh, I thought Melisandre was going to set him on fire. (laughs) and He was going to (laughs) run to the enemy lines. (laughs) I mean, in in the cold, she was going to set him on fire and then he was going to jump into the trench and set it on fire. Yes. Cross my mind as well. Okay, okay, that's that's good because as I'm thinking about that now, that sounds a lot more ridiculous than it did last night in the heat of the moment. But um, but yeah, so he's he's alive, um, which means I assume he will have to die at some point, seeing as he did have a very heartfelt talk about what he was going to do after all of this, which yeah, is not a conversation you, you can have on a narrative show. No, once you start talking about the beach where you're going to retire, yeah, yeah, uh, you're you're done. You're done. You're just done. That's that's true. <laughs> Um, I did, I did predict that Jorah would die, which, which yeah, right that was, that was pretty, um, clear that that was going to happen. But yeah. I also thought the same about Brienne. I, right. I thought right. no way Jamie, Brienne and Podrick were all going to make it through. Sure. 
But they seem and, to have done. Yes. They're saving Brienne's death for another another you know, critical, terrible. Yeah. Moment. See, that's the thing about this by, by not killing as many people as they kind of know we expected. Mm-hmm. They're set up for an even worse sucker punch, aren't they? It's true. It's true. Um, so, okay. So, you know, we've, we've lost, I mean, we, they did kill, I, I would say more people than they, they've ever killed in a single episode, more named characters by like quite a margin. So the biggest ones were Jorah, Theon. Those are probably uh, headline. Right, right. Um, uh, oh, uh, Dolorous Ed. Everyone's favorite uh, <laughs> Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, Dolorous Ed. Ed with two um, Ds. Ed with two Ds. It's short for Edison Tollett. So, you know. I thought that was just Fantasy Ed. The Fantasy, I mean, you know. It, <laughs> that was the, the name in the original draft was Fantasy Ed. <laughs> and, and his editor said, Martin, you got to change this. This is not okay. Um, uh, but yeah, okay. So he, uh, uh, Ed, um, uh, Theon, Jorah. Oh, gosh. Who else? There must have been someone. Oh, 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 and Liana Mormont, obviously. Yeah, Liana Mormont. <laughs> you know, it's funny that it's a sign of how, how much this show has twisted us. And I heard mm-hmm. someone else talking about this, so this isn't my original observation, but um, that we're kind of like coming out of this episode like, hey, you know, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. After we saw yeah. like an eight-year-old girl get the life crushed out of her and then right. with her dying act, kill something else. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That was pretty good. <laughs> it was, that was, she that was she really went out swinging. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I guess by the time this goes up, my uh, my article will be out, so I don't have to worry about spoiling it. But I, yeah, I did talk a lot about how the 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 entirety of Game of Thrones is, in some ways, um, people like either getting to heroically lean into their death or try and escape it, and and that's the bad way to die. Uh, so <laughs> so kudos if you can die killing something else. And also, if you can face the thing that kills you while it kills you. And then there's Sam. And then who, there's uh, Sam, who is who's some something of both. I mean, he fought yeah. pretty good there for a couple minutes, right. and then he just kind of gave up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which was probably the most realistic thing that anyone did. Absolutely, absolutely. So, and just kind of laid there and cried while everyone failed to kill him somehow. Hmm. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I actually been, so those last like scenes of like, okay, I guess the big thing here that really did shock me was that they just did kill the Night King and end the threat of the Army of the Dead. Yeah. In episode three. Um, I did not think that was going to happen in this. I, I didn't think they were going to win this battle. No, I thought I, they were going to lose and get driven back to the Iron Islands. Right. And then have to go back to the well for some good old Tyrion ingenuity. Right. And get some of those brainy folks on it and figure out something more clever to beat him. Absolutely. But, yeah. But no, no, no. It's just, it's gone. They just, all... Yeah. They're all ice, yeah. It's kind of like, how are we supposed to care about anything else now? Right, right. I mean, that was, I guess that would be my one, I, I don't know that it's a complaint, because I don't feel like, um, 
I don't feel like the show is so bad at planning moments. <laughs> Clearly, they are not bad at that. Uh, that um, that there will not be satisfying things that happen in the next three episodes. But um, but I I was really sort of surprised and felt like maybe it was a bit of a letdown that this thing they've been building to for you know seven seasons and two episodes is all sort of fixed in the span of an hour and a half that, that it wasn't a draw. I mean, not that I want a second episode that is, you know, an hour and a half of straight battle, but just that there would be something that would come after it. Right. Um, you know, they would, they, they'd lose here and the night King would pursue them or they would destroy the army of the dead, but the night King would live on in some way, shape or form to come back, you know, three episodes down the line, you know? Yeah. Something along those lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are so many things There's to talk so about. Okay. Things. Let's talk about the Dothraki. All right. All right. And was there um, just mad headlong charge alone into the darkness uh, meant to be part of the overall strategy of the battle? Or were they just, you know, mavericking it? Or what, what, what do you think we were supposed to get from that? Well, okay, so according to my friend who's been talking about this <laughs> a lot, um, ap- apparently um, there is some, like, military advantage in, uh, I guess, like, winnowing down the enemy lines with a charge, especially when the eventual goal is to um, to keep Winterfell itself safe. Like, that there's no, that Athraki is sort of useless in a siege or in any other things, like when else are they going to to do this? And the reason that the dragons weren't with them is that, like, having seen, you know, what the Night King and the other White Walkers did to Viserion, that they're sort of unwilling to risk them early on before they know how the battle is going. So maybe that's good. Again, that's not my idea. But um, to me, it did just look like, oh, they they sacrificed a lot of... A lot of people of color right up front, just yeah, just I mean, running right that up. shot of them charging forward, and you see it from the perspective of the other uh, warriors who are behind, and you just see mm-hmm. their their flames kind of winking out, yeah, or you realize what's going on. I mean, that was an amazing shot, and so well, yeah, but, yeah, but also yeah, the, the, yeah, the fact that they're kind of like, all right. Let's send all the brown people out. Right, right. Uh, let them take the first hit, and then they can cover our retreat as we get all the white people back inside the fortress. And uh, it just doesn't look real good. Right. Oh, yeah. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, cool that Melisandre showed up to set all their swords on fire. Did not seem to do a lot. No, um, didn't. <laughs> I had forgotten that Melisandre... A existed and B was still alive. Right, right. Well, I mean, and she had to had come back. No idea that. where she was. Yeah, I mean, she was in Essos uh, because of that's what she said she was doing last season. I guess she was just working on magic and getting better at it so that she could light things on fire a little more easily uh, this time around. So, yeah, she was there. Well, her, she served her, her final. Her timing was great. Yeah, I mean, I actually enjoyed her more in this episode than I have sometimes in the past. Yes. Uh, uh it, it, like that last walk off into the, into the wastes, you know, 
where all of the like centuries are catching up to her was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so that was that was that was I mean that was interesting. It was a great shot, both of the flames winking out, and I think of the charge where all of the you know like flaming catapult stones are are heralding them. That was pretty cool. Um, not as cool was I think there's a solid forty minutes in this episode of John and Daenerys on dragons flying into just white void. Uh, trying to get their bearings. Yeah. And then, you know, coming up, hovering above the clouds, looking around. Uh, were they supposed to be in, you know, overall command of this battle? Because if so, they were completely yeah. AWOL and yeah, just, just hot-rodding yeah. it. Right, right. I think, the, I think the idea was that they were supposed to be, like, in command and also, like, support like the other you know flanks by burning zombies at the right moments and setting the trench on fire and then the storm just like fucked up their ability to do that but Mm -hmm. they it took them a long time to realize like oh this isn't gonna work um although i do think i kind of appreciate uh that that both daenerys and john were like super useless this this episode um yeah, it's a little it really, bit of a theme because John was pretty useless in the Battle of the Bastards too. Yeah, which was yeah. his other his other kind of marquee showdown, and he's just uh, you know in that in that one he was just bewildered by the chaos and violence around him, which was probably also very realistic. Um, and so I yeah I like that as well that they're. They're two powerful people, but they're really just two people, and they right. they can't by themselves do much to influence the outcome of something like this. Right. the The moral of of all of Game of Thrones is one person isn't enough to do anything unless you're Arya, and then you can do everything. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, also just the idea of um, like Daenerys getting to do her signature move, where she says Dracarys, and then a dragon incinerates someone. I liked the whole thing of like, oh no, that just a hundred percent doesn't work. Right. This time around, I felt like she sort of needed to have that humbling, you know, of like, oh my the big thing i do in battle is not is not actually a thing <laughs> yeah it'll be interesting to see if this entire experience is humbling for her and if she's kind of different coming out of it because she was so kind of ineffective and right. you know her I also, yeah i also really liked the moment i mean towards the end where like she falls off of drogon and then she has to pick up a sword and I realized like, oh, she's, she has never actually fought in hand to hand combat ever in this show. And I thought they did a really good job of having her look like she was determined and ready to do something and also completely inexperienced and out of her depth. Yeah. And what she is, uh, you know, what she does pride herself on is being the mother of dragons. Right. Meanwhile, she, she parks Drogon in a loading zone Yes. And uh, almost gets him towed. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. That is. He gets, he gets, the, he gets the boot exactly put on at least. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, those zombie boots. Um, ugh, no, I don't like that, that, that phrase. I'm, I'm abandoning it right, right now. Uh, but yeah, no. So um, a, a lot of just hopelessness this episode too. Like it was, it was interesting to see a battle that, they lost 90% of the entire time 
like where just things are going wrong from the get-go and there are no second wins that people suddenly get and then things get better. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a complete loss from start to finish until until, you know, they do the one magic thing that saves the day. Yeah, you th- the only way to win is a Deus Ex Machina that's kind of, you know, not quite a Deus Ex Machina because it's been built in from early on. Uh, but still feels kind of like cheating. Yeah, yeah, to win. yeah. Just, just a bit, just a bit. <clears throat> and um, I mean, they fought. You know, Brienne and Jamie especially are just for a good hour straight. Each of them is like fighting three White Walkers at once, and right, like there was never a moment where Brienne wasn't screaming with about four zombies biting her. Yes, and... I gotta say, I love that Brienne just yells through all battles. <laughs> like that—that's that's her yeah. signature thing. She has big sweeping strikes and she yells, um, <laughs> like in an undignified. But it just seems way. so unfair. I mean, she couldn't get a break. Meanwhile, the Hound is—you uh, yes. know—whenever he needs to, he's just finding a quiet little nook to sit down and have a think and right, right, gather it's, himself, yeah. remember his childhood traumas. Yes, I mean, it's... Uh, Brienne's just out here screaming. <laughs> he does always seem to find the perfect spot to do some some light, you know, meditation and processing uh, that, that is not full of zombies. Um, Practice a little mindfulness. Right, right. <laughs> um, so... I remember I, I read at one time about kind of the way battles unfolded. This is probably true in medieval times as well, but I was specifically reading about ancient times, like, you know, in ancient Rome or ancient Greece that, you know, when two armies charged and attacked each other on foot, hand to hand combat, really the limit of someone's fighting ability was about five minutes at five minutes. If you survived, you were completely exhausted and could not possibly fight any longer. Right. You would have to fall back and the next wave of guys would have to come up. Yeah. And yeah. so now I think about that every time I watch one of these movies where someone just holding a 60 pound broadsword is just wailing away for an hour at a, at a time. Right. Right. Um, I'm going to, I'm just going to, because all the fucking nerds that listen to our podcast, all, all three of you uh, are going to, going to complain Broadswords are not 60 pounds. They're like three or four. Still a lot. You try swinging a four pound thing around for, for four five pounds. Minutes. They're not, they're not that heavy. They're not that. I mean, just cause otherwise they'd suck. Um, yeah, well, that's fair. I mean, I guess I could Google, I guess 60 pounds is a totally insane amount of it's, weight it's, for a sort to be. It's, that's like, that's a, small that's a child. child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before I, mean, I there was a time in human history when, you know, you, you did just swing a child on the end of a rope as a, as a weapon, but uh, we, we moved past that pretty fast. Yeah, okay. So, and I, I know, like, Valyrian steel is supposed to weigh less. Right, right. We're, I mean, look, we are also nerds, guys. We know this stuff. We, but if we just... know how much a sword weighs. <laughs> I'm yeah. not just Googling it frantically right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> According to um, thearma.org, even the big hand and a half quote unquote war swords rarely weigh more than 4.5 pounds. Yeah. So that's that's less a thing than a that, shake weight. 
less than mm-hmm. a shake weight and you know but more dignified with a shake weight you're really paying for that that lack of dignity with with its weight um okay so they they killed off my second favorite character this this episode and i knew it would happen but it was still sad um and I, I'm talking about Theon Greyjoy, mm-hmm. the position that I have been yelled at a lot this weekend for holding. Yeah, and I'm I'm not going to yell at you for holding that position. Thank you. I, Thank you. I appreciate that. As much as I want to berate you for your um, Theon Sansa romantic theorem slash aspirations, <laughs> I'm just going to hold off on that. And now it's now it's off the table anyway. So I'm oh God, to talk I've been about it. I've been outed. I feel like like my my first response when you when you said that was to to like start just shouting the names of other people that agree with me, the full names, which I'm sure they'd appreciate. And uh, addresses and phone numbers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Please, please, please dox them. We all there are <laughs> dozens of us. Um, but yes, no, no, no. Uh, Theon's Theon's a great character. I actually thought the show gave him a really fantastic send off that I. I mean, they had built to it, and I feel like it would be pretty irresponsible to not give him that at this point in do how you much... Mean, do you mean the whole scene in the Godswood, or you mean the very final... Oh, I think the very final thing was, like, my favorite bit, right? Of just, he spent, you know, like, he is this incredibly... Even, like, before he is, you know kidnapped by Ramsey. He is this very self-loathing person who is always, you know, sometimes he's masking it with sort of arrogance, but there's a lot of like, you know, he's, he's this person who has no confidence in himself. And I just like that. The last thing is that, you know, he finally gets told by someone that he's a good person and that's sort of enough for him to to go. Okay. I'm going to run with that. I'm going to literally run with that. Literally run with that. Like an idiot at the most dangerous person on (laughs) earth. He, was he, going bought, to... he bought him just enough time for Arya to come in, which I have to assume Bran planned or else Bran did nothing. <laughs> One of the two. When it comes to Bran, all we can do is assume because yes. we never know what he's doing or why. I, again, I have to assume we're going to find out before the show ends forever, but, but, but based on their track record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll just be, it'll be an interview with, Max von Sydow in one of the uh, one of the inside the episode things of him going like, this is what they told me when I was on the show and playing the three eyed raven. But I guess they never got around to explaining it. That was my very good Max von Sydow voice. He's got a very distinctive voice and I nailed it. By, yeah, I did. Yeah. I mean, he sounds uncannily like you. It's true. It's true. I've always said that. Yeah. If Everyone does. Sweet, you, yeah. You've got the looks of Orson Welles and the voice of Max von Sydow. It's the best. I, I am living my best life. Um, but yes, no. So I, I did. I did appreciate that. Although, you know, you're right. It wasn't necessarily um, the thinking man's maneuver. Um, I also did like that. They, they did remember he was an archer at the, at the end, like that, that was something that had always been the case in the show. And Mm -hmm. they do have him like, you know, fighting off those last whites with, uh, you know, with arrows rather than, you know, he's not much for close quarters combat. No, no, he's not. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. I mean, you know, like I felt like 
you know, between him and Jora and Liana Mormont, like they did a weirdly like they seemed kind also in the like giving everyone their moment to be heroic and do something heroic, you know? Um, yeah, this is another thing I've, I've seen people complaining about online mm-hmm. that basically saying that this season, the show has lost its edge. It's become too nice to it. Uh, it's, it's doing kind of what you expect it to do. It's performing fan service, this kind of stuff. And I, I think that's a function of how, much it has twisted people's expectations that suddenly anything kind of remotely normal or humane seems uh, like Pollyanna-ish. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, why not just have Leona Mormont be killed when the giant, like, hits her with a club the first time? That that would have been the Game of Thrones we know and love and, and wanted to see. Yeah, yeah why no. not just have every horrible thing possible I don't see like I don't I don't get the complaint about fan service. First of all, I don't know what the fuck that is, and it just reinforces me my hatred of fans. Um, <laughs> but, Hear that, fans? We, <laughs> we that fucking fans. hate you. Uh, yes, no, I mean, yeah, I I agree um, for the most part. I mean, I, I feel like you know. Uh, Fan service is is like you know when you when you compromise a story beat so that you can have a moment that is going to get people to cheer right when you when you give them like red meat at the cost of something like structural and slow moving and satisfying so yes. like if it know. doesn't if it doesn't naturally fit with the narrative and the ongoing character arcs yeah right then it's right. It's something you're inserting for a cheap, you know, emotional response or critical response or whatever. Yeah. But I don't think that, you know, Leona Mormont killing a giant is necessarily fan service in that same way, right? Like, it's it's not as though they've given her superpowers, right? Like, they've created this sort of plausible situation where this can happen. And, you know, giving a, a character sort of a nice a nice moment of some agency feels like it's actually just storytelling rather than, you know, than fan service. Right. Like also it's the last season. There's this, but with that episode, it was like, there's four left. We can't nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be bleak all the time. <laughs> yeah. Did the giant lift her up to his face? Cause he was going to eat her. That was my intense fear moments before she stabbed him. Yeah. I mean, that would have um, been fucked up. That would have been real bad. That would have been just like, I think I would have gone like, oh, I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> what part of you wrote, the, had this thought, wrote it down, you know, I guess on a, on a, a legal pad, because that's how all scripts get written. And then, you know, went through the process of filming it and, and everyone was like, yeah, we're, we're cool with this. So no, I'm glad, I'm glad she stabbed him in the eye. Um, I am also glad she died. I feel like if she had lived past that, there would have been like a sort of like, oh, she's too heroic. This is too much of like a superpower she has uh, to survive this. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, and then Arya kills the Night King. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Arya is the yeah. prince that promised. Um, I mean, that that fucking ruled. That was did, so cool. It did. 
It was, and and I, my partner on the way back from Endgame, on the drive home from Endgame to go watch Game of Thrones, uh, she is a fight choreographer, and she was, and was talking about like, oh, I, I think it was some other Marvel film where there's the move where someone, like, you know can't reach with their hands so they drop their weapon and catch it with the other hand it's also in uh in um uh uh the the last jedi they the ray does that in the big fight oh and, yeah mm-hmm. but she was I, I think she was talking about it in a marvel film i'm not gonna remember which one it was but um but that is such a cool move and such a like awesome like you know way to sort of fake out uh, the audience in terms of like, oh, they've lost. Oh no, they've won. And, and it's also like, it felt plausible rather than like, oh, you just did like a weird parkour backflip to, you know, to do this thing that's, that's humanly impossible. Right. It's a low percentage move. I will say that. I mean, you drop that knife. Right. Uh, you know, I guess if you're Arya, you don't drop the knife, but most people drop the knife eight times out of 10. Right. right. And then the, the world's over. Right. Right. That's Um, it. But she caught it, and you know, at first I was like, "What? what? She's got like a switchblade or something." Like, what? That's right. not gonna. Then I remembered, you know, what knife it was, and yeah, yeah, it's the whole, the it's whole the... history of the knife going back right. way, way back to the first season. So yeah. that was pretty cool. It's a super special knife that everyone just loves to see every time it comes out, just like in uh, in the Alec Baldwin version of The Shadow. There's that knife that keeps fighting him. Do you remember that? Um, God. Yeah. I mean, I remember the existence of the movie. I do not remember the knife. There's a knife that, that like is animate that he keeps fighting with. And the way it's placed in the film, it really feels like maybe the knife's the real bad guy here. Like maybe, maybe well, the actual you know, bad guy doesn't matter because he fights the knife a lot more. Um, we all have our knife to fight. We all have our knife to fight. It's, it's. That's what I've been told. Are you, you sure know? they were pronouncing it all wrong all along, and he was actually the knife king? He is. It's I. I appreciate a good pun, Ben, and, and that, that was not one. But, yeah, but 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 keep trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I assume you'll edit that in, and you know, I'm going to put one. that at the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the that's our leading moment before the weeds like soundtrack starts. Yeah, up. It's, it's the cold open to. Uh, yeah. Just really set that hook. Absolutely, um, absolutely. How do you know he's not the Knife King, <laughs> or whatever? Our, our, our what do you What do you think of that uh, that royalty free, uh, bouncy blues tune that I found? I, I liked it a lot. I felt like it might go under a commercial for um, I don't know, like a a, a Lunesta or Hill. yeah. It was bouncy, it was breezy, you know, it was folksy. I uh, I enjoyed it. There's one thing that describes you and me, it's bouncy and breezy. It's true. That's how we that's how we roll. <laughs> I mean, it certainly I'm, described Lincoln and Wells. It's true. It's it's that is very true. Bouncy, breezy I, dude. Bouncy, just breezy, beautiful. Coasting on the drafts of life. Right. I I can't wait until we befriend a rock star who will let us use their their hit. To uh, to underscore, yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, that's gonna be great. Um, <laughs> yeah, just hit <laughs> us up, rock stars. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you have a you have a hit song that uh... <laughs> you need a little? You need to get a little yeah. airplay. 
Right. Or are you be. real bad with contracts and don't know how like, you know, intellectual property works? Cause that works for us too. You need to get your song on what is probably literally the lowest ranking podcast on iTunes. It's true. It's true. I, um, because no one knows it's on iTunes. It's, yes. Hey guys, we're on iTunes. If you're yeah. listening to this and you found us on iTunes, that's where we are. Yeah, you just search for Lincoln and Wells with the ampersand. Right, right. And and I know you were looking for a really great history podcast about the Civil War because you're you're a 50, 60-year-old dad and and that's what you do these days, but but you've got us instead talking about Game I of Thrones. I did think about that. People are going to people are going to think they're getting a podcast that's a series of imaginary dialogues between Abraham Lincoln and Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. Which is actually a fucking brilliant idea for oh, a podcast. Oh, we should have fucking done and that. Why didn't? Oh I, man. Well, I I don't have the ability to do that. You, you maybe you could pull it off. <laughs> you can't make your voice high and reedy like uh, like Daniel Day Lewis. I could try. I I'd need some practice. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if the vocalizing is going to be the the major stumbling block here. Oh, right. It's improvising as an historical figure about, about a TV show. Either that or writing elaborate scripts. Oh, wait, you're thinking Lincoln and Wells would be talking about today's pop culture. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? This is getting better. better. That'd be really good. I mean, every episode would start with, with them just going, what the fuck is a Blu-ray? And then there would be 10 minutes of explaining, you know, like, the internet, but I guess every every episode will also be the first episode in my my understanding of it. <laughs> they go yeah. back, their brains. They'd have to meet each other for the first time each time. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, they, they they the scientist who's who's forcing their brains to talk like puts them puts them back in the fridge and they 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 forget everything every time. So you know, right? I mean, yeah. Orson Welles would already know who Abraham Lincoln is. He would, but not vice versa. And they'd have to explain thing. movies. Yeah, yeah. You have to be like, you know that play you went to? <laughs> Imagine that. You could have stayed home. <laughs> you could have stayed home. You just could have stayed home. Um, and, I mean, I feel like Orson Welles could, ba- could benefit a lot from Lincoln talking about just living an ascetic lifestyle. But, you know, end of the day. End of the day. <laughs> we should have done this, and this was a terrible mistake. It's um, not too late. It's this, not too late. It's not no too late. Maybe listen, episode three. So, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. This will be I when explain Abraham Lincoln and Orson Welles about yes. the topics of the day. Yeah. It'll be like the dead author podcast, but by two guys who aren't very successful comedy writers. Hmm. That those, those rock star offers are going to be rolling in. Oh, any minute. So, so bad. Someone's going to write us a theme song. I, I wish, I wish in my heart of hearts in that moment I could come up with something that would rhyme with Lincoln and Wells. All I'm um, coming up with is the bells of the ball. The bell, right. They're thinking something so rhymes swells. With Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, no, it's rolling. <laughs> so swells. <laughs> Lincoln rhymes with every, Lincoln and like, bells. Lincoln <laughs> Any, any folksy, Stealing any folksy gerund. Uh, can be made into a rhyme for Lincoln. <laughs> um, so, was there anything else about Game of Thrones? Or should we talk about about I think the? We big... Should talk about game. I mean, we didn't talk about the uh, the uh, weird issues that 
people have with the women in Game of Thrones. Oh, right. Yeah. So I guess to speak about that's that. That's a good lead-in, yeah, too. It is a good lead-in. So, you know, Sansa Stark is is my favorite character. It is is it should be everyone's. Uh and and your your fucking Sansa Stark hate is is weird and and super misogynistic and stop it. And when you say you, you don't mean me, just for the listeners. No, go oh, no no no. I mean you are loyal. Because like, that would have been like so fucking aggressive. It would have been amazing. To say to your podcast co-host. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean really would have that's just another good idea for a the podcast. temperature up on this. Two people that hate each other just yelling for for an hour. I'd listen to that. But no, 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 no. Uh, ben and I are, are are both good people. I, I, God, that's the thing that bad people say. I just realized <laughs> I said it. Yeah, but no, <laughs> I, I like, I like Sansa yeah. partly yeah, because yeah. you have convinced me to like her more than I did once. I mean, nobody likes Sansa in the beginning because right, she's, right. she's not, you're not supposed to, Right. She's, but she's, most people, I don't know about most people, but a lot of people never evolve from that right. mindset. And I think there's a real, like, I mean, it's an interesting thing because on the one hand, like, you know, I, I don't want to say that there's any one way, but no, I mean, like there's room, obviously there's room in Westeros to have like, uh, women like Arya and Brienne that are, uh, you know, that take on, you know, what are like traditionally masculine roles and be badass and, and awesome about it. Um, but I, I, you were, I think you were talking about it on Twitter earlier, but just, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, the fact that like that gets held up as a way to say that, you know, women who, um, you know, fulfill traditionally feminine roles are therefore terrible is like, the worst way to, you know. Yeah, yeah. What I said on Twitter, yeah. and this was, you know, subtweeting some much more famous Twitter person who mm-hmm. was uh, talking a bunch of shit about Arya for not, or about Sansa for not doing anything in that episode. Right. And what I said was, every time Arya does something badass, people use it as a stick to beat Sansa with. Right. A, right. You know, it can't just exist on its own. It's got to then be kind of weaponized against her for not doing that badass thing. Um, when, if you look at the history of the show, especially the last couple seasons, Sansa has done a lot of badass shit that yeah. Arya never could have done. She's it's just fucking... not stabbing people. Right, right. Uh, and and I will say, like, I thought that it was great that last night took out like a decent amount of time to have Sansa and Tyrion have a bunch of awesome moments. And I really liked her putting Tyrion in his place when he's saying, like, you know, I'm not terrible at fighting. I should be out there. And her saying, like, what what the fuck, man? You're no. This is you're not gonna help anything out there. Yeah. It's um, more heroic for us to stay out of the way. Right, right. And I also like she also put him in his place when uh, he makes that admittedly very funny joke about how, you know, she says he was her best husband. Right. About how right. terrifying that is. And, and then she gives him this look that's sort yeah. of like, like, don't take that away from me. Right. Right. Like, I've been through so much shit. Yes. Like horrible don't, shit. Don't make me feel worse about it. Yeah. And you are in fact like a decent human being <laughs> and there are worse men in the world than you. And, and in not recognizing that maybe you're not doing enough about them. Um, worse men like Thanos. That's my very slick, you know. 
I was Transition. about to bust into the Avengers theme song, but I couldn't think of it. I could only think of the Game of Thrones theme song. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that there is no music in the Avengers films. It's all way back. Do, 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 do. Oh, that's right. Do, that's right. Yes. Do, do. Bum, bum. <laughs> that was really, that was a spot on version of it. Um, well, you did the Game of Thrones theme song oh, last right, last time. time. Oh, yeah, so that's, like that's another... To... So so this is where canny fans will start to understand there's a theme. We trade off every episode doing uh, a theme song that we don't quite remember in full. Uh, yeah, another <laughs> beloved gag. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're very good at these. So, um, so I also liked Endgame quite a bit. Um, like I liked... Sorry, there's a lot of barking going on in the hallway outside. I mean, can you hear that barking? I can. Okay, that's so going to be a little added Los Angeles color. Yes, absolutely. I can't wait till the uh, the the North Carolina color comes in and there's all the howling, all the howling of of men and beasts uh, out, yeah. out of the, the bayou. You've got bayou cursed, out cursed by hedge witches. Yes. Mm. All, all them hedge witches. Um, but yeah, no, Endgame was pretty great. Um, I, I actually, okay, I guess the way I've been describing it is, it's not that I, I can't both, both Endgame and Infinity War. Uh, I Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. For those of you who might think we're talking about a different one, um, I can't quite say that. Like, oh, I really liked this film so much as like both of these movies accomplished things that seemed like they shouldn't have been able to pull off. And I'm kind of just in awe of you made six hours of coherent movie that tied off 10 years of plot line. And I wasn't horribly bored or felt like it was weirdly lopsided the entire time. Yeah. The scope of the Marvel project over the last decade is. I, I believe that pretty you. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, let me not. Fail to use their terminology and just anyway. Um, yes, go, go on. it is pretty. Yes, it's pretty jaw dropping. I mean, it's really impressive. Yeah, and if you know, it's not quite as coherent as they would like you to believe. I mean, right. the films vary a lot in quality, a lot in tone, and some of them have a lot more to do with that central kind of Avengers plot than the others, and right and. There are loose ends. Hair, yeah, yeah. To all that. But it is very impressive. Yeah. And like what unlimited money can, can create. Get you. Right, right. Um, I also, and I feel like, it's, okay, and especially with Endgame, I feel like for being a film that had a bunch of basically like terrible conceits for for telling um, an emotionally affecting story, they told an emotionally affecting story. Like, I mean, okay. So I hate time travel. And like, this is my, this is partially my dumb thing where I just, I hate time travel as a thing. I don't know. Like uh, yeah. I don't like it either. Um, but, uh, and I, my heart sank when they started talking about time travel. I, I, I did like the term time heist that sort of dulled <sighs> the sting a little bit, but yeah, well, they did a lot to um, like, they knew how, absurd and annoying it was. And they did a lot in their 
typical fashion to make it ironic and funny and by kind of make you stop being angry about it. Right. Right. Uh, when Paul Rudd brings up hot tub time machine, I thought that was, that was very <laughs> <Yes>. funny. <laughs> and, and I've been trying to remember all day. Was Paul Rudd in hot tub time machine? That was my first question as well. When, when that line came up, right. I, but don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I think it's just sad. John Cusack. Yeah. John, sad Cusack. Old John Cusack. Um, but, but yeah, no. So, um, uh, apologies to John Cusack. We know you're out there listening and your late career has been awesome and, and just keep trucking, man. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think like, so the time travel thing was going to annoy me, but they, they cut against it by sort of making light of it. And then also like, you know, normally time travel like erases the stakes of something, right? If you can undo a thing that's already happened, why do we care about the thing that's coming down the line? And they kind of nailed it. Like they had the right level of, the thing will still have happened, right? People will come back, but there will be an awareness of what the world has lost. It will, in fact, be five years later, you know? So, like, it's not going to be like the people who were left behind were not grieving and never had a chance to grieve. Uh, and then also, yeah. like, they they did the neat thing of they they left all of their characters who weren't snapped out of existence dead, right? Like, they found other ways to get them back in if they need them, right? Gamora being the alternate reality Gamora, but, um, but not, you know, but, but they, they didn't, they didn't just say, let's go back to the very, very beginning of the whole thing and it'll all be great and everyone will play out well, you know? Yeah. Which is what I was afraid they were going to do. And actually that, that whole middle act like treasure hunt was, was Mm -hmm. pretty great. Yes. And full of lots of surprises, lots of, um, interesting, um, capers. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and how great to, if you're trying to sum up 10 years of, um, of like wildly interconnected films that are, you know, not telling a single story, but trying to tell a story that at least has some through lines to like tie it off by actually literally revisiting big chunks of it. Um, in a way that didn't feel, so well, it didn't feel fan servicey yeah. yeah. in the way we were talking about before, right. or kind of clunky the way you might imagine. By the yeah. by the so then they have a their own big battle scene in the final mm-hmm. third of right. the movie. By that point, I was just getting weary. Like it didn't really matter if it was good or not anymore. Right. I couldn't. Right. I kind of couldn't absorb much more <laughs> of this massive spectacle. So I think the moment when a flying horse comes out. <laughs> I like stopped being weary because it was suddenly like, Oh, Oh, that's right. This is a crazy fucking universe <laughs> where crazy shit happens. Yeah. And I can just sit back and let it watch, wash over me because, <laughs> because Tessa Thompson's riding a flying horse. And I forgot that that was a thing that already happened in a previous movie. So that, no, I mean, that was, that was great. Uh, I mean, I mean, I guess just sort of the spectacle of it, exceeded my expectations because you know i will say marvel films typically don't have amazing action sequences they're just a bunch of people punching each other and mm-hmm. some of them punch harder than others you know and but this, none of them can really get hurt so yeah yeah punching feels kind of futile and this did feel, this felt like like they were throwing everything at the wall and and that actually worked for them rather you know like 
they leaned into the ridiculousness of of what these ten years have done. Um, All right. Um, well, let's yeah. just let that that part slide for now because. I want to go back to the beginning and sort of the essential premise of the movie. Okay. Um, well, not the premise so much as the decision. They made an interesting decision, and by interesting, I mean bad, uh-huh. to essentially have Hawkeye lead the film instead oh, of yeah. literally yeah. anyone else, but especially Captain Marvel. Um, yeah. I mean, I will say. I, I don't know what they were thinking exactly because Hawkeye is a character that no one likes mm-hmm. or ever has liked. Right. And Jeremy, Jeremy Renner is a man that, uh, that no one likes anymore. Uh, and his it, hair was weird. Wait, did That's Jeremy right. Renner do something? Did he, did he get canceled? I, uh, so back, there was a thing where I think he referred to black widow as a slut during a press tour for like mm. Avengers two. And I feel like people sort of canceled him after that, but then it's also been a long time. And I would you mean say that, that character who's never done anything more than kind of make vague flirty eyes at, uh, at Bruce Banner. Uh, yeah. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, we're going to get into black widow and the problems with that Yeah, in this film. But um, I will say Hawkeye does have an arrow that ends in a USB. And that <laughs> is pretty cool as superpowers go. So having yeah. a really long kind of awkward thumb drive to carry is some, it's something I look for in my hero. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, so I guess, I guess like, I mean, not that I'm going to defend centering it on Hawkeye. Cause I don't think that's super defensible, but I, I feel like the one excuse they might've had is sort of like, he is the least, of them by far. Right. Like, and the most human. Uh, and so there's this sort of like, what does this look like from the everyman who's been on the sidelines the whole time, which could have been interesting again, if it wasn't Hawkeye and maybe it wasn't Jeremy Renner. I don't, I don't know if Jeremy Renner's a great actor or not. Like I honestly can't tell. I think great. Oh, sorry. Like a real stretch. Let's go with, let's go with yeah. good. I don't know if he's a good actor or not. I, I, He's got a weird face also. It's very lumpy in ways that make me feel uneasy. And I don't want to shame actors for how I've heard him described as pugnacious. Pugnacious. He's got a real fisherman's brow. (laughs) So that's an inside joke from 10 years ago, podcast listeners, between the two of us. It means nothing, so don't don't read into it. But I mean, just just the... The uh, Penny version is um, Tyler was creating a Sims character for me. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually forgot the context. (laughs) uh, He sat there with his laptop sort of peering up over the top of his laptop at me and then furiously typing and clicking and then peering up again. (laughs) At one point he just sort of mutters and now for the fisherman's brow. (laughs) And there was some, some line about, Okay, and now a little bit sad. <laughs> oh, God. So you can see, you see how the Lincoln, the Lincoln yeah, yeah. through here. Lincoln had a very prominent fisherman's brow. But um, it's like, it's so, that sorry, it just, 
to have a story repeated back to you that you do not remember at all, but also sounds so exactly like you that you know it has to be true is is a delightful and uncanny experience. So so thank you for that. But um <laughs> can but never yes, forget. Never forget. Um Jeremy Renner. Weird looking. Okay, but um, so yeah. You know, I I really thought Captain Marvel was going to like step into this vacuum left by all of the vanished heroes. Right. And he, since she's ultra powerful, mm-hmm. sort of be the one who can actually confront Thanos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have many, many issues with the, their whole approach for dealing with Thanos that right. I should probably just write a think piece about instead of unloading them here. But, you know, it makes sense. Like she, she's the one who's a, a physical match for him or. Right. Yeah. But instead they sort of, uh, let her come in and make a cameo and then invent kind of a lame excuse for her to go off spacefaring for several years. Right. And kind of help other imaginary planets clean up. Right. And it's Um, like, why, why wouldn't you use her? And I, I think this sort of goes to a larger, I mean, this, 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 I think gets into a larger problem I have with, with Endgame, um, in part, but also with I think the Marvel Universe generally, which is that like, she, I mean, I, I, I was underwhelmed by Captain Marvel the film, and that yeah, is me too, no, as you know, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, we we had some contentious internet debates about it where we were in agreement, but other people were not. Um, and I think part of it is that it it, it did feel a little bit like it was written by people that very much wanted to let you know that they had written a feminist film with a strong female lead, but Mm. didn't do a ton of work to actually make that happen. Uh, And like, I think Brie Larson is great. I think that Captain Marvel as a character is a really interesting idea. I love the idea that this sort of like, you know, um, flaming cosmic force that is, you know, to date, as Endgame makes very clear, the most powerful, you know, uh, superhero uh, that that they have yet encountered is is a woman, and is a woman who is compassionate and uh, and and you know, human, and 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 has. Well, and then it gets weird because I was going to try and name a quality she has, and it's like, ooh, I don't think they wrote a lot of them in. You know, there did seem to be a sort of like genericness to the way she was written. She was underwritten. And She's electable. Yeah, she's a that that's 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 it exactly, and uh, yeah, she's she is this this sort of anodyne character, and especially after Ryan Coogler made you know Black Panther, I think a really impressive look at what you know um, a superhero movie looks like with the black experience taken into consideration. It just felt like a letdown that Captain Marvel was. It felt to me like someone going, people are complaining about this. We should satisfy them without trying hard. And they're half right. They should they should definitely do this. And it was way too late to have a female-led film. Um, but they should have done a better job with it. And I felt like that continued into Endgame. Yeah, I think she's been poorly served by both of the movies that she's been in. And they really should should be doing a lot better. And, and 
on that point, I think the most infuriating moment for me in the movie, which um, there was actually a really good article on the AV Club today about it, um, but just there's this moment in the final battle where Captain Marvel shows up and... I think Spider-Man says, like, you know, how is she going to get across the battlefield on her own? And then, like, all the ladies from all the Marvel films step out and go, she's not on her own. And then they pose, you know? And it's this, like, you know, ladies fighting bad guys montage that feels completely forced. And, you know, the the AV Club article that I wish I could remember the author of... It's, you know, it's it's that like it, it's it's a victory lap for their success in creating all these female characters, not like an actual organic moment that is a real celebration of badass women who are, you know, who have been treated fairly in their films, you know. Right. It's the it's the meme come to life where the guy says, my work here is done. And then the woman says, but you didn't do anything. And then yes, yes, exactly. sweeps his exactly. cape. And yeah, right. that was, that was the, the screenwriters, directors, producers, whatever. Right. Right. Uh, and, taking their and, unearned victory lap. Right. And for one, and like for the first two seconds of it, I was like, okay, this is, this is a kind of fine, fun moment, but it does go on for like 10 seconds of more and more women stepping out. And it's just like them going, Hey, hey! Remember all the ladies that were in the R films? Remember how? I mean, they don't have a ton of screen time, but but they are there. You probably recognize them from posters. And every it's, single one of them's a superhero now, even Gwyneth Paltrow, because performing uh, a traditionally feminine role would not be enough. Right, right, absolutely. Earn her a place She's of respect have, in this film. Right, and. Like, you know, and, and again, like, I would be super on board for a version of Pepper Potts where she does put on a suit and it's cool and it is it is a moment of her, like, not needing Tony Stark's help. But they didn't set us up for that, you know. They, it was just sort of like, yep, she's here. So I also hated <laughs> that... Um... They had it come down yet again. I thought this was so stupid in Infinity War. And then they did it again to uh, a tug of war over the glove. Mm -hmm. It's just an Avenger pulling on the glove and Thanos pulling back. Yes. And it's like the the fate of the universe rests on this. Yes. I'm like, this is literally the best idea they can come up with is just to pull really hard on it and hope that they can get his glove off. (laughs) <laughs> and so they have Captain Marvel do that, and and she sort of demonstrates that she's as strong or stronger than he is, right? But then and they're kind of like, eh, but we can't have show. her be yeah. the one to do it, right? So uh, something happens, and then she falls down or whatever, and then he, I think he takes one of the stones out and shoots it. Oh, that's right. At her, which again. That was a moment. Where I was like, oh, that's kind of a fun concept, but they did it the one, right? Like it was not. I would have loved to see a fight where all of the infinity stones are getting used in weird ways to sort of really say, Hey, these all powerful objects are more than just, if you collect all five, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. It was clearly just a solution of convenience to, to get her out of the way so they could bring Tony Stark in and have him be the one who martyrs himself to save everyone. I will say that caught me by surprise. I didn't think they were going to kill Tony Stark at the end of it. I thought he was going to retire, 
Well, like Robert Downey Jr. was going to be done with it, but he was going to retire to like a nice life with his, you know, with with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. and his daughter. Um, and so that caught me off guard a little bit, and I did, I did actually kind of like that moment. I, I did too, and I think it wouldn't have, it wouldn't feel this way nearly as much if they hadn't shortchanged the other characters, especially the female characters, so much right. during the previous yeah. two hours and fifty minutes. Right, right. I mean that that article, that AV Club article you were talking about, broke down the screen time that yes the female characters get, like aside from Black Widow. Right. It's a total of like 24 minutes or something. Right. Uh, and even Black three- Widow, I think, has the least screen time of any of the Avengers. And she's been in, <laughs> I think, more movies than any of the others individually. Like, I think in showing up in other people's films, you know, she was in Iron Man 2. She was in Captain America 2, right? And then all the Avengers films, like, she is the Avengers through line in a way that none of them are. Uh, yeah, she's always been the one doing the emotional labor to keep the team together. Right. And, uh, you know, the invisible work yes. that goes and, ignored by characters and screenwriters alike. And just and killing her off in the way that they did in this film also really bummed me out. Um, well, for one thing, it counted on you to have an emotional investment in the relationship between her and Hawkeye. Right. Which, which you know, in that moment where they're up on this platform uh, on a uh, Vormir. Right. I realized, oh, like, no, oh cool. I'm, I'm not only supposed to care about this. I'm supposed to remember how the fuck these two people know each other. Right. And I can't right. remember anything about that. Yeah, That was eight years ago, man. Um, and also like, so, like the argument that it comes down to is like, she has less to lose because he has a family to regain, which we can, I mean, that's a pretty bullshit argument already, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I, I had a friend who was really actually like deeply disturbed by the idea that, that the film sort of vaguely saying a childless woman in her thirties, you know, uh, it, like, can afford basically to, has less to live for than anyone else than anyone else. Right. So like that's, that was, that was disturbing in and of itself. That is a disturbing message. Right. But I mean, but even beyond that, even if you sort of accept like, well, let's take gender out of it for a second and let's make it about like, you know, she, she cares enough about Hawkeye to want him to see his family again, whatever. Right. Like if you gender swapped those roles and, and you didn't make it about, you know, about that, you didn't make it about chill, whatever it is. Even beyond that, it's this sort of thing of like the stakes in that sequence are remembering that a character who hasn't been in the Avengers series in like five years has a lot to live for, whereas a character we've, that has been with us the entire time does not, which just is like, no, 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 that's the reverse of how we're seeing this as as the viewer. And even if in the story you can make you know a good case for it, which again, the film did not – it's it's bad. It's still like, oh no, you know? And and I guess the other thing about it is like it's killing her in the exact same way that one of the other, like, you know, very, very strong female heroes is killed in the previous film. Also, they're only like lead um, you know, woman of color in any of these movies is killed in the previous film. Wait, refresh my memory. Oh, on just that? like that Gamora is killed by Thanos. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, the, in the exact like, same way. Yeah. You're yeah, right. No, my, yeah. my friend who, uh, God, who, I didn't uh, even think of that. That's... Yeah. Right. And it's sort of like, it's not just that she sacrifices herself heroically. It's that she repeats a plot point, you know, like, Oh God. 
um, my friend who was really distressed by the the sort of like anti-childless woman message uh, has has dubbed uh, the Vormir um, precipice the the sacrifice cliff, and I feel like I want to start using it. It's the it's the it's always going to be the sacrifice cliff. I really thought they were going to come up with a more with a different way to pay the soul stone price this time. Right. Right. And that it was going to be, you know, it was still going to cost them something important, but I didn't think one of them had to die. For one thing, I didn't remember that they cared about <laughs> that each that other. Was th- yes. <laughs> um, but I thought they well, were going to have to pay something ago. else. That's a lot to remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. And, and both Avengers and Game of Thrones is there's, this is why my, my, mind is crumbling like you know right right that like Thanos it, is in it it's yes. uh that's what I feel like it looks like inside my skull now because there's so much to remember and yeah. unless you're the internet's number one Game of Thrones scholar there's no way you're gonna remember it all absolutely that was me snapping for emphasis um like like a cool like you know sassy snap not Beak like a, a Thanos kind of, snap but uh, but yeah no absolutely I mean there's a lot to keep track of and at the cliffs of Vormir you have to pay the iron price I guess or something in order to to get the soul stone and and defeat the night king but um, it's yeah but it's it's uh, yeah so like that was that was rough those those moments were rough and the you know it is it is a, a series that has not been great to its female characters I am hoping very much that uh, they will get better you know um, as they go on. But that said, um, you know, not to not to like ignore that, but there were some awesome things in this film. And I there were I was genuinely, I think, pleased both by uh, by uh, Tony Stark's sacrifice at the end. That resonated with me a lot more than I thought it would. Even like the cheesy line they set up where, you know, Thanos says, I'm inevitable. And he says, I am Iron Man. It kind of got me. I was like, "Oh, I'm glad they worked that back in." Um, yeah, that was fun. I mean, yeah, it was. Fun it's it's it one of those moments that reminds you that this is essentially a children's movie, uh, but right, right. it's yeah. satisfying. Yes, it's it's the satisfying kind of cheese, you know. Um, cheese. Oh God, I I blanked on every kind of cheese to then name as a joke. That's another one of our gags is telling the first half of a joke and then blanking on what you could possibly say for the second half. Uh, so we're just going to love that listeners. We don't have readers. I hope um, but that and that and, and then Captain America going back in time at the end was such a better ending for him than I had any hope for. And like, I definitely started to tear up. Um, my friend, I was sitting next to the theater, like, just erupted into tears. It was great. I thought I was really satisfied by that. Uh, I mean, I definitely cried during uh, Tony's like taped message to his daughter. Right. Right. And then, um, yeah, the Captain America, I did like that. I, it was nice that they took that time in the middle of the movie mm-hmm. where um, they have to go back to 1970. Right. To, right. <laughs> They they get thwarted from getting the tesseract, and and that that was never resolved. Loki just disappears with it, and, right? Which I uh, assume they're going to bring him back in future films and or for his TV series oh, on shit. on the Disney Disney Universe, Netflix Disney, whatever it's called. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh fuck! I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> but anyway, so they have to go back to 1970 and Tony Stark has his Joseph Campbell-esque, uh, you know, reconciliation with the father. Right. Undercut only ever so slightly by the fact that the father is there to meet the, like, science fiction version of Joseph Mengele that <laughs> that they've set up in previous films. Yeah, so unfortunately that was the moment when I couldn't wait any longer and I had to leave and go to the bathroom. Oh, okay. so I missed that scene and only got back at the end when he was outside and kind of, okay. I mean, so he's, there's, there's just, I mean, it's, it's mostly like physical comedy looking for things and then him talking to his dad and trying to, they've got some silly things, but they do not. I mean, Toby Jones does not in fact appear again as, as science fiction, Joseph Mangala, but, um, but just the fact that Roger Sterling is there to meet him. Um, I think, I think, says some things about Howard Stark that are maybe intended, but maybe also like, I don't know if you should intend this, you know? <laughs> anyway, but yes. The guy isn't actually named Roger Sterling, right? Isn't that his character on Mad Men? I believe that is his character on Mad Men, but I cannot remember for the life of me what his real name is. And uh, I only remembered Howard Stark like late in the conversation. <laughs> I think it's John... Slattery. He's got a crazy yes. last name. It's yeah, John Slattery. That's it. <laughs> He's also the anesthesiologist who keeps dosing lizards on uh, season four of Arrested Development for you, John Slattery completionists. Some people got to <laughs> get the full John Slattery pack, or <laughs> we're now a John it. Slattery fan cast, mm-hmm. and uh, we remember. Yeah, we moved on name. from Harry Bosch to another yeah. Silver Fox. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> now that we know his name. We're totally all in on him, but no. So yeah, so yeah, so Captain America goes back to 1970, and you were saying he sees Peggy Carter, Haley Atwell. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, yeah. Tony Stark has the reconciliation with his father. Uh, Steve Rogers has the moment with his you know unrequited love, just like classic Joseph Campbell heroes myth moments. Right. Right. And um, then just, they, yeah. they both get tied off at the end. Yeah. Oh, oh. And um, fun Easter egg uh, that I did not realize until afterwards. But, you know, so at, at Stark's funeral, where it's just panning across like everyone from the franchise. Oh, yes. Um, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, go oh, ahead. The, the, random, the random teenager with the weird hair that you don't know why. Yes. 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 So go ahead. So he's the kid from Iron Man three right. who he found in the garage. Yeah, um, I thought that was pretty cool. Once I realized it after I'd seen the movie. Yeah. And that, that sort of made me like, okay, are they setting up this kid's going to be the next Iron Man? Right. Right. Or I kind of, it would be better, especially in light of what we just talked about. If they ran with this sort of new comic book arc, that's been written about the, um, you know, teenage African-American girl who's like an MIT student who reverse engineers um, the Stark tech and. Right. Yeah. Comes her own version of, of Iron Man. That would be, that, that would be fantastic. That'd um, be super cool. But that probably yeah, means. 10 years from now, we'll finally get that with our second female led Marvel <laughs> cinematic universe film. But, but yeah, no, but yeah, no, I thought it was great. They had the kid back. And I think actually in general, like, I was super surprised by all of the like minor players that got to make guest appearances that I did not expect. Like I did not expect Robert Redford to ever come back. And that was pretty cool. Yeah. 
that that the recreation of all those scenes from the first Avengers movie were really cool. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, and like, and, and it did fulfill my love of a of a film that co-stars Robert Redford and Tilda Swinton, which I have always wanted, and mm-hmm. now I finally have. They never see each other, and she is problematically in in yellowface, but but still, is that a They've never been in a movie together otherwise, have they? I mean, I don't think so. If they have fans... Because that's just two very random people to kind of have a a wish (laughs) based around. uh, She's uh, she's Daisy Buchanan's child in The Great Gatsby. A little known fact. (laughs) 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 She's one of the horses in All the Pretty Horses. I just imagined... Tilda Swinton as a baby and it terrified me because I just imagined, I imagined her head from the Avengers movie Mm -hmm. on a baby. Oh, see, that is with sharp teeth for some reason. I know definitely the sharp teeth. And actually when you said, I'm I'm thinking of her as a baby, I imagined her head for the Avengers film on, uh, on a bats. So I don't know why. Oh yeah. And hanging upside down. That was it. That was it. It's from, it's from that old fake Tilda Tilda, Twilda Sinton is also a great name that I'm going to start using, but Tilda Swinton Twitter account that uh, where she has a bat child. It doesn't matter, guys. We're talking about all kinds of pop culture. Anyway, Endgame. <laughs> Live it. <laughs> watch it and then immediately watch Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3. And then just... just- die just fall into a pit and die fall off a sacrifice cliff yes sacrifice cliff and then just lie there on the stone so that your friend can wake up in a shallow sea holding holding an item that will destroy him yes (laughs) absolutely this just turned advice podcast it's a good advice podcast and i forgot about the shallow sea aspect and i i feel like you've You've you painted such a good picture with your words. It's made me. Oh, it's like I'm on Vormir, looking at a guy doing an impression of Hugo Weaving. That's not Hugo Weaving. Have we talked about that? Like the, I know the, on the, podcast, the floating floating spirit. The 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 re, like Red Skull. Yeah, that I mean, not it does Hugo feel Weaving. like it should be Hugo Weaving. Well, I mean, well, no, no, no. I mean, that's the character Hugo Weaving played in the first Captain America film. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. God. Yeah, dude. Yeah. How'd he get there? He uses the Tesseract at the end of Captain America and beams up to who knows where. And the film sort of leaves it unclear, like, is he dead? We're going to bring him back. Is he off having space adventures? And then I think they got to Infinity War and were like, fuck, we forgot to do something with him. You know what? He's here. So that, but they couldn't get, they couldn't get Hugo Weaving back. I think Hugo Weaving said no. So the guy that plays him, I forget. Did they get Reese Darby? They they got Reese Darby. They should have. Um, Like if Reese Darby does not show up in the next Thor movie, the next Taika Waititi directed Thor movie, I'm, I'm going to riot. But is um, the, is the, um, is Thor's New Zealand friend, alien friend, voiced by Taika Waititi? Yes, he is. Okay. That, thought, is, that is Taika yeah. Waititi. I love and him. I, I love him very much. And his little worm friend is voiced by Jermaine Clement. That's not true. That part's a lie. But what <laughs> if? <laughs> 
Uh, but no, no. So yeah, so so um, yeah. So they got I, I can't remember the name of the actor, but it is a guy who does like accent coaching for the movies. Who is like, can you do an impression of Hugo Weaving doing an impression of Werner Herzog? Because because that's that's what we need for Infinity War. So so yeah, I thought he did a good job. Uh, but the fact that you didn't remember that character at all um, also means that that no one cared and it was fine. It also means I just accepted like, yeah, there's yes. a planet out there and uh, Skeletor's I mean, out room. there and yeah. he's floating. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I guess I just thought of him as like as like the Grail Knight from Indiana Jones. Yeah, no, I mean, I think he does have a Grail Knight look with his <laughs> robes and his I mean, it is almost exactly a red version of the Skeletor mask that Frank Langella wears in Masters of the Universe. So, so it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but in, yeah, no, that's, I mean, I'm glad that we both enjoyed this film, even with wildly different understandings of what had come before. Um, and we both agree. It's a real blast. Go see it. It hates women. And it really needs the marketing push. It really um, needs the marketing the Lincoln push. And Wells Lincoln and Wells podcast. Yeah. iTunes lowest rated podcast. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. We do have one follower on Podbean. Oh, where our shit. podcast is posted. Oh no, is that yeah. um and it's it's my mom. Oh, okay. Um, good. Oh, 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 no. I so hi mom. Swearing in I front love of your you. mom so much. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's fine with it. Yeah, I, I made sure that our first episode went up when my entire family was out of the country, so they don't even know I have a podcast yet, That's but good. they will, and I yeah, you can't one of them will from them, it. the thing. Yeah, I know, I know. Especially because I, I, I complain about my dad lying about Roy Orbison so much. So oh, far, he's... I've done it on every episode. <laughs> he's he's going to be flattered just to be included. I yeah, mean, who just, would? Yeah, yeah. And, uh... You know. you know, my wife listened to it and she oh. uh, she uh, didn't have any negative feedback except that she uh, fast forwarded through the discussion of the fifth season because it didn't make any sense to her. <laughs> and, I assume that's how most people listen to us. They fast forward. Well, then through, it occurred yeah. to me. I was like, oh, yeah, you can't really just talk about a book that you're both reading and not explain what it's about or. Right give people any context. So we might have to rethink that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. If we're going to review, um, you know, the rest of it, we should start by actually setting it up. And then we can say like, you know, audio wizards, download our podcast and just splice this discussion into the first episode. And then you'll understand it. And you're, you know, um, (laughs) we could just tell people, you know, once they've listened to this episode, you know, the next one where we talk about that, they're going to need to go back to the beginning and listen back through kind of like a game of Thrones rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. To make sure you're, you're picking up on everything. Cause we're really, we're, we're weaving a tapestry here and you don't want to get lost. Absolutely. Lost Uh, in all those strands of, of organza and, and whatever else tapestries are made of. Yeah. Wonderful Um, hunting scenes and, right. uh, Weddings. This next one is gonna be is gonna be the one where the unicorn is in the cage and all the animals are bowing to it. So that's pretty cool. Also, Didn't we talk when about we t- people in cages last time. Oh, I bet we just, did. 
That so sounds many like us that we're developing over. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We're <laughs> I mean, and, and when we, when we finally do our like actual review of the fifth season with like a setup for what it's about, uh, we can finally get that coveted um, appellation, like Lincoln and Wells, a podcast. One of the co-hosts wives won't fast forward through. Yeah. That that's just going to become the tag. I've got a, uh, kind of a placeholder tagline in there now, but that that's going to have to. Yeah. 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 That. Well, yeah. is, are we, are we just about coming to the end of our, I think we're going to have to adjourn here because we've, we've yet again gone an hour and a half. We have. And I really so thought I'm... I was really shooting for an hour this time. <laughs> we only had two fucking topics, <laughs> but Nope. Next time, though, it'll be three hours, and it'll be entirely about the first hour of Endgame. So that'll be good. Uh, oh, did I tell you that we accidentally saw it in 3D? Oh, no. Do. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's bad. But I bet Thanos' glaive looked real cool. His, oh, the folds of his chin were so deep. Yeah. Just. Yeah. And, you know, those aren't CGI. That is all Josh Brolin. Yeah. Just, they have to, they have to put. Too much like, time you know, in the sun. Totally. They, they got to put like silly putty in those folds for the other films. So he looks like a person. Yeah, no, he's CGI would in all of his other movies. Yes. That's just, yes. we have hit on some CGI child actor. God, I hope, I hope our, I hope your mom likes some of these jokes because we have both had a lot of moments of some dead air in there that feel like if a fan at home isn't laughing, we're in trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. Should I put a laugh track in? Oh, that that would be the best. But but better. it should be like a Casio keyboard with like a you know like a laugh note. So it's just a bunch of like different you know. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, uh. yeah, exactly, exactly. That's it. That's yeah. it. Uh, okay. Well, uh, this has been Lincoln and Wells. Uh, you're Ben Miller, and you're Tyler Maximus Dean. And, and we didn't plan to do that, so you kind of caught me. We, I, I, did, I, caught I didn't know what to do for a second there, even though it was obvious what to do. Yeah, yeah. Should should I make? Should you also have a fake name that starts with the same first letter of your real middle name? Well, I realize it's far too late, but you know, I don't know if I want to use my real name in this podcast. Oh, that's but a good, that's I've done a good it about point. five times now. So yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, <laughs> We well, can say Ben is short for something preposterous that if this were a good joke, I would have thought up. Yeah, and Miller is also short for something. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is Benjamin the Miller's Tale. There you go. Nailed yeah, it. Yeah. That's gonna hey, throw him right off the scent. <laughs> hey, hey, Ben's mom, I know you love Chaucer. That one was for you. <laughs> And fade out. <laughs> All right, man. Okay. Good, Good to talk. <laughs>